Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Greg Williams. Greg is the founder of the Sierra Buttes Trail Stewardship, which is a nonprofit group based in California that's dedicated to the restoration, preservation, and enhancement of recreational trails. The group's Connected Communities Plan offers an innovative roadmap for bringing tourism through trails to former timber and mining towns. Thanks for joining us, Greg. Yeah, thanks for having me. So tell us about the Sierra Buttes Trail Stewardship. How did and why did the group form originally? Well, yeah, I had a you know, since the early 90s, I'd been um, doing mountain bike tours um, in the town of Downeyville and uh, and then started an event called the Coyote Classic in 1995 that is now called the Downeyville Classic. And um, one of the draws to Downeyville was just, you know, this trail system that was left over from the gold mining era. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of these trails, you know, went up into the into the river canyons and accessed remote mines and um, very rugged. And so um, I started, you know, running this tour company, had the had a little bike shop in town. I had this uh, mountain bike festival. And then uh, our national forest, the Tahoe National Forest, uh, lost their uh, funding for trails. And so, you know, it's hard to attract people and promote a town when, when your trails are falling apart. So yeah, uh, we formed a partnership with, uh, with our local district of the forest and, uh, and got our nonprofit status. And really it was, you know, we'd been doing some trail work and, and having an annual, uh, work party that started with probably around, you know, 10 people. And, and then it grew to 20 and we were getting, you know, for this annual work day, like upwards of like 75 people. Hmm. Uh, and we didn't have enough tools to support it. So it was like, you know, it's great. Like you don't want to just put beers in everybody's hands when they show up. You want to put a tool in their hands. So right. that was kind of the real catalyst of like, let's get our nonprofit status and let's try and get uh, some grants to be able to support the the tools that we needed and to be a to be a strong partner with our local district of the forest. Hmm. Interesting. When you say the the forest had no funding for trails, I mean, you mean literally like they had zero dollars allocated at some point? Yeah. I mean, they went from having, you know, a full time trail crew on the district um, and being able to hire contractors for different jobs to uh, really it got, you know, down to there was just one person in recreation. Um, and so, you know, you can imagine like in the, in the Northern Sierra, like after a big winter, there's a lot of deadfall. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as these trails became more and more popular with more traffic on them, you know, there's wear and tear. And so, you know, it really got to the point where like, you know, in the spring trying to do the log out, we needed support, we needed help. The forest couldn't do it. And so, you know, that's kind of what you do when you live and care, to, care about a place, you know, mm-hmm. you figure it out, you take care of it. And so, uh, that was, that was the foundation of it. Yeah, that's really cool. And obviously, I mean, the Downeyville Classic is super well known now. This this will be 25 years then, I guess, right? Yeah, this is the this will be the 25 year anniversary in August, which is kind of hard to believe. My wife Heather and I, you know, we started this event and um, really had no clue the first year. Like we didn't even have uh, a timer. You know, we <laughs> we hired it was a we hired Norba and we're like, all right, those guys have it all figured out. And the, <laughs> the Norba official got there and he was like, oh, shit, you guys have no timing. You have no clue of what's going on. <laughs> but yeah, we, we stuck with it. And now, you know, it's, it's world famous, host the, the All Mountain World Championships. And uh, it's a big, it's a big fun party. And 
and Downeyville, you know, really those businesses rely on it. So, yeah, that's super cool. So why is this region with Downeyville and a bunch of other small towns that I'm sure we'll talk about? Why is that area known as the lost Sierra? Well, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a phrase that, um, that we, we didn't start, but we definitely, um, kind of clamored towards like in the, mm-hmm. in the 1800s, there was a mail route that came through Downeyville and went North up towards the town of Quincy. And it was called the lost Sierra mail route. And I think a lot of it had to do with the mailman getting lost several times. <laughs> uh, but you know, he had to like ski on, on longboard skis and, uh, and make it across the, across the Sierra. So we thought it was, uh, you know, pretty appropriate uh, title for our region, which is kind of a big, you know, big empty space that's predominantly all national forest. And people come there to kind of get lost, you know, and, and at the same time find themselves. So, yeah, that's a really cool name. And yeah, it, it does seem to describe what it's sort of become, uh, even though it is like a historical name. So what makes this area such a draw for recreation, in your opinion? I mean, I'd like to think it's one of the most beautiful places on earth. Mm. You know, it's been my heritage is from here, from Miwok Indians. And then on my mom's side, uh, Eastern Sierra Ranchers. Um, I've, I've just, I, I love this place and I see the effect that it has on people when they come visit it, you know, like these wild rivers were at the headwaters of, uh, what's called the feather river, which delivers about 65% of clean drinking water to all of California. Wow. And we're, we're North of, of interstate 80 and Tahoe and Truckee, which, you know, those areas are, are beautiful, but there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people there. There's a lot mm-hmm. of you know, a lot of use and, and you come north up here and you just get into these big uh, alpine valleys and, and river canyons and mountain peaks that uh, that are pretty empty still. Hmm. So uh, I think that's the appeal is just uh, big open spaces. And again, some of the best trails in the world that were left here from the gold rush. And then uh, for us being able to kind of take those same characteristics and apply them into our own uh, trail building. Hmm. Yeah. What's the mountain bike season like there? I imagine you get a lot of snow in the winter. Well, typically, which we haven't had a typical winter in quite a while. Like <laughs> last year was one of our biggest on record. This year, you know, we're riding up uh, elevations of like 6,000 feet. Expecting a pretty good storm this weekend. But, you know, typically the season like in Downeyville is, is May through November. And then... You know, as we as we expand kind of our trail building and and uh, and the regions we work in, we try and look at how do we extend kind of that shoulder season and and put trails, you know, in places where they're south facing, a little lower elevation, mainly so that the towns can have you know a little more tourism happening. Yeah, that's interesting. Really strategic, and yeah, something I guess a lot of trail users wouldn't really think about, but yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So tell us a little bit about what the SBTS has been able to accomplish over the years. Yeah, we started in 2003, really, as, as our nonprofit. And, you know, in that time, um, we've completed, you know, like around 115 trail projects. Um, we've built almost 93 miles of trail, which we have another like 60 miles of trail that's gone through the environmental process. So NEPA, oh, cool. that's, that's uh, shovel ready and ready to be built. Mm-hmm. Um, we've maintained uh, close to 1,200 miles of trail on national forests. And then we've contributed uh, 90,000 plus hours of volunteer labor on the forest. So 
pretty good for, you know, a little nonprofit in a, in a town of less than a couple hundred. You know, last year was a pretty big year for us. We maintained uh, 211 miles of trail. Uh, we built eight miles of trail. And like I said, we planned out and went through the, the NEPA process for uh, nearly 60 miles of brand new trail. Wow. Well, yeah, you mentioned all the volunteers and volunteer labor that you have, but today the group also employs dozens of full and part-time staff members. So what what does your group do to bring in enough revenue to support all these uh, paid positions? Man, it's, it's, we do everything we can. <laughs> Always hustling. Yeah, it's, it's kind of survival, you know. I mean, we're trying to exist in a place that uh, people have had to leave because there's no jobs. So for us, uh, really, you know, tapping every single possibility, um, which is, includes like, you know, anywhere from grants. Um, we put on three big events. We put on the Lost and Found uh, gravel race in June, mm-hmm. put on the Downeyville Classic. Uh, we, we were uh, co-founders with Jiro of, of Grinduro, which we we're going to start our own new event, the standalone event called Mountains to Meadows cool. uh, in Quincy this year in September. So those events are really important. We try and, you know, net some good money off of those and then be able to leverage uh, grant funds to be able to make those funds go even further. And then, you know, that little bike shop that I started back in the 90s, Yuba Expeditions, mm-hmm. uh, we, we have two locations now with full guide and outfitter permits. Um, we do fundraising campaigns like our five bucks a foot uh, memberships. Uh, and then, you know, we have some really solid uh, corporate partners that, that uh, we've been longtime partners with that that help us in our fundraising efforts and um, donations and contributions. So again, like every avenue we can tap, you know, we try and we try and get after it. Yeah, that's, that's great. Well, you guys received a grant. One of the ways that you're funding uh, your trails and your operations, you guys got a grant that was really for supporting forest fire reduction which seems pretty unusual. It wasn't specifically, you know, a grant like earmarked for trail building. So tell us how you guys made that happen and like how you sort of got creative uh, to access those funds. Yeah. Um, you know, trails, trails is kind of the tool, you know, and, but really it's, you know, looking at, at um, how do we, how do we keep these forests health, healthy? How do we, mm-hmm. how do we bring people up from the city, you know, and educate them on public lands and why it's important to manage our land. Um, so the grant that we got was actually it's it's for resilient communities, which typically does go to forest uh, re- fire reduction and and forest health. Um, the reason we got it was trying to keep people in these communities uh, as part of making them resilient. You know, and, and uh, if people don't live there anymore and they don't care about the land, they're not going to help protect it. You know, so mm, yeah, um, that's kind of how we fit. We also, you know. Um, apply for watershed protection funds. We apply for habitat protection funds. We just had a, a yellow-legged frog uh, listed as endangered in our region. And so a lot of the work we do is to to protect habitat for that frog, you know, through certain trail design efforts um, and trying to just keep people on the trails instead of kind of tromping around. So hmm. again, just trying to be creative and uh, and using trails as the tool to, to get there. Yeah, that's really interesting about the endangered species because a lot of times it seems like that's uh, that kind of thing will block a trail from being built, but you guys are using it as sort of an excuse to get the funds to like make the trail properly and and to avoid impacting those endangered species. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, again, going back to that survival, you know, it was like, okay, do we just sit back and, and let this area get closed to recreation? It's a real key place called the Lakes Basin. We figured it would be best for us to kind of get out in front, mm-hmm. um, set a standard for what we want to do and why we're doing the trail work. And so far it's worked really well. Yeah, that's awesome. So the Sierra Buttes Trails Stewardship isn't specifically a mountain bike organization. So how did the various trail groups and constituencies within your organization work together? Yeah, I mean, you know, in hindsight, it was probably one of the best decisions that we ever made was to, you know, we were sitting down and and writing our first grant and it was, you know, like, what are we going to call this thing? And it was going to be, you know, we were a group of mountain bikers and dirt bikers, you know, and so it was like, wow, are we the a Downeyville mountain bike organization or, and like I said, in hindsight, I was like, man, thank goodness. We really keyed into just trail stewardship and yeah. it's opened a lot of doors for us. Um, especially when we partner with land managers, being able to represent a community and not a particular user group, you know, cause we're working with, with multiple national forests. We're working with state parks, working with land trusts, and then the types of trails we work on, you know, we're like we're working on uh, motorized multiple use trails, mm-hmm. you know, non-motorized. We work on the Pacific Crest Trail, ADA accessible trails. We've worked with our land trust to put in every single uh, school campus in Plumas and Sierra County has a uh, outdoor classroom with a trail that goes to the classroom. Oh, cool. Um, you know, we work in recreation areas, wilderness areas, roadless areas. Like if there's a trail in our in our zone, we're going to work on it. Mm. So um, and that's been really key to developing and strengthening our partnerships with these land managers so that they know, you know, when, when we partner on projects, we're not just representing a single use group. Yeah, I can imagine that makes it tougher for them when they got to not only like deal with a bunch of different groups, but then they also have to like deal with the conflicts that will arise where, you know, one group wants to do one thing and the other group wants to do something else sounds like you guys are just like the go-to people in that area. Yeah. I mean, we really, we really strive to be, and that's, you know, a lot of a, like before a project really comes to fruition, you know, it's, it's vetted through the community, through town hall meetings, um, and then to the land manager. So it's, it's a thoughtful approach. And what, what land managers don't want is like every single user group coming to them individually mm-hmm. with their own project, you know? So instead of, uh, getting like one request with a thoughtful outline of like, Hey, here's what we want to do in the next five years. It's going to represent the community, mm-hmm. you know, having, having every single use group come to them with their own project. And then they're frustrated that the land manager can't make those happen. So right. it's been, it's been a really solid approach and approach that I encourage uh, other communities to, to use, you know, is to really represent your community, you know, and be thoughtful when you deal with these land managers because they're, they're tapped for time. They have, you know, you know, their funding is cut. So uh, how do you maximize their efforts and, and make sure that they're successful as well? Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting talking about like how your group is even down to the name, you know, that's something recently, I think people where I am too realized, you know, there's a group that formed a few years ago called mountain bike Atlanta and within like less than a year, they were like, shoot, (laughs) we should have just called it like trails Atlanta because, you know, there is that, like, as soon as you, you say like, this is our group, this is, you know, this is our goal. Then there's going to be people on the other side that are going to say, well, wait a minute. Like, what about what we're trying to do? And yeah, it just seems a lot, a lot better if you, from the start say like, we're all, we all have the same goal here, which is trails and, 
giving people access. Yeah. And I mean, some of our, some of our, my favorite projects were when, you know, we were working on like the, the Pacific Crest Trail and, you know, there's like a group of dirt bikers, like digging right next to a group of hikers that, mm-hmm. you know, people show up on a work party. You don't know how they choose to recreate, you know, there's no, yeah. you know, people aren't showing up in their moto boots. And uh, so it breaks down the barriers, you know, when people are all like, hey, we just care about this place. We want to make sure that this trail is in good shape, mm-hmm. you know, and then after they do a work day and they're, you know, we're barbecuing and and drinking cold beers afterwards and they realize like, Oh man, you're a dirt biker. I never would have ever associated with you, you know, but, but we're pretty much alike, you know, we just choose to recreate differently. It doesn't mean that we don't care about this place any less or any more. And so that's, that's the beauty of trails. They, they bring people together. Yeah. Do you think that has an impact on like the actual interactions people have once they're on the trails? Like, do you think your area maybe has less of those, individual conflicts that sometime arise on multi-use trails? Uh, I think a hundred percent. I mean, not just, not just cause pe- you know, multiple user groups are working together, but also just the whole, the whole idea of like getting the community together to work on a project. People take, take pride and ownership of it. And, um, and then when there's visitors, you know, that come, they, they, uh, maybe they don't necessarily know how to behave, but there's a good example for them. <laughs> you know, like everybody that's out there is kind of like looking out for each other um, and it's been, it's a great way to build a community around a trail project. Yeah, that's really cool. So you kind of hinted at some of the economic reasons uh, for developing trails and for, you know, supporting these local communities. What kind of data are you aware of that sort of backs the connection between trails and tourism dollars? Like, are communities ever skeptical when you pitch this to say, like, I don't believe it or like, sh- you know, show me an example? Yeah, I mean, I, I think... For sure, in the beginning, you know, it's like, oh, trails are going to do all these things for us. They're going to bring tourists. They're going to bring jobs. And, you know, not like until recently, you know, when Outdoor Industry Association started putting out their economic impact reports, you know, and and the Bureau of Economic Analysis um, started putting out some numbers. You know, it was really kind of just honestly, like from being in Downeyville and watching uh, that town go from uh, a mining town to a timber town, to a nothing town <laughs> that they got some mountain biking. You know, I watched some of those businesses like be able to hang on, you know, in a time when, when they wouldn't have otherwise. So there was always kind of that example of like, well, look at Downeyville, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but now to be able to really show kind of these national numbers and, and seeing, you know, outdoor recreation being kind of the super sector you know, right, right below like hospital care and insurance, Wow. you know, and, uh, and then, you know, seeing trail sports as being a $201 billion a year industry. Um, it certainly helps, you know, when we talk to our, our district supervisors and our congressmen, um, they, they're aware of it. They understand. And for us, you know, we put together, um, our own survey that we conducted, uh, just last year that really, just kind of like locked in our idea of like how important trails are to people that live in our community, like how high they rate having access to that public lands, you know, the information's there and it's, it's super solid. And it's the great thing is, right. Is that outdoor recreation is a bigger industry than mining and logging Yeah, and it's more sustainable. And when your counties are made up primarily of all public lands, national forests, like that's where the jobs can come from. Mm. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to fire up an old mine again. You know, those days are done. 
So how do we move forward as a community and create jobs and, and start to attract those working families back? Yeah. Well, obviously, some of the jobs that are connected with tourism are going to be different from the jobs, say, in mining and timber that were lost. So how have you seen this transition play out in communities like Downeyville? Yeah, I mean, I think there's I mean, there's a few different jobs, sources, you know, there's um, entrepreneurial opportunities, you know, being able to to buy, have a service industry uh, business for yourself or to work at a service industry business. Uh, what I've kind of enjoyed watching the most is, you know, we, our, our counties, you know, there's a lot of forest service presence. There's, there's county jobs. And when they just like in the last few years, like we've noticed like when they, when they float those new job positions, the type of response that we get and the type of people that want to um, come and have a job now that there's trails, now that the place is known for high quality recreation, yeah. we're able to attract like a, a different kind of breed of people to these jobs where it was kind of like a burnout type of job, you know, <laughs> like, oh man, I don't want to go there. But now we're able to, especially in the forest service, we're able to attract younger people that value outdoor recreation and high quality trails to those jobs. So for us, it's, you know, it's moving the needle on attracting talent that we've lost. Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned your own story, you know, having a bike shop and, you know, running tours and events in Downeyville. I mean, is that what brought you to Downeyville? Like, did you grow up in the community or uh, was this some like a conscious decision that you made years ago to sort of pursue this? So I grew up in, in Nevada City, which is a little bit uh, south of Downeyville. But my parents, when I was younger, had this 1942 Jeep and we would always take, you know, like a month in the summer and we'd, um, our destination would always be like Downeyville. Um, but sometimes it would take us a little longer cause my dad would get the Jeep stuck. <laughs> and like my mom said, one time we spent 10 days in the same spot waiting for somebody to come and help us get out of there. <laughs> so, so, you know, as a kid growing up and, and Downeyville has some of the best swimming rivers around, I mean, big granite rocks to lay out on and beautiful blue water. So we would come and just spend weeks like swimming on the river. So as a, you know, in high school, like I would, I brought my girlfriend up there and we would hang out the river. And then, you know, I got into mountain biking pretty heavily and started just kind of exploring these old uh, mining trails. And at one point, uh, I rode from Downeyville up to this place called Packer Saddle, which is where we run shuttles to now for the Downeyville downhill. Uh. Um, so I rode all the way to the top and uh and survived myself back to the bottom and i was like yeah i think people would pay to get a ride up the hill yeah <laughs> and so uh in a couple of months i got this credit card in the mail and it was like you're pre-approved for ten thousand dollars <laughs> i was like i think you know so I, basically i went put a down payment on a van got a roof rack and uh and started bringing people up to Downeyville. And then, uh, it was pretty much confirmed like this, this could work, you know, and, and just basically poured everything I had into trying to make this business happen. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a great story. As mountain bikers, we know that we bring tourism dollars. Like we've been told this, we, we use this argument in our own communities all the time. You know, we need more trails. It's going to help bring tourism and build the economy. But what, what are like specific ways that we as mountain bikers and visitors to these communities, what are the ways that we can give back beyond just, you know, spending a few bucks on gas and a post ride beer? Like, is that enough to sustain a community like this? I mean, I think that goes a long ways. Um, one thing, 
just from my experience and with the stewardship is, is having people volunteer their time, you know, to help on the trails. Like, you know, in Downeyville, there's less than a hundred full-time residents, you know, but you look at like, you look at the, the amount of work we've gotten done. It's not, you know, there's some locals that do help, but it's from people that like that visit this place, that care about this place that, yeah. you know, that are willing to dig for it and willing to, you know, to donate their money into projects and make this place happen. So, you know, I mean, again, if you really care about a place, there's ways to contribute beyond just like, you know, visiting and buying a beer and a sandwich. (laughs) So, and oftentimes it's through organizations like ours, you know, where we we empower people to get involved and and they care about a place. And it seems like too, I mean, I guess participating in events as well can be helpful in terms of your funding for your group. And yeah, it seems like another really easy one for people to do. Yeah. And, and, you know, for us, honestly, like we don't focus super heavily on, on people becoming members. Mm -hmm. It's like, we'd love, we'd love for them to become members, but people contribute in all these different ways. And like, you know, like you just said, like signing up for our events, you know, that helps us a bunch, Mm -hmm. like riding one of our shuttles, taking one of our tours. Those are all ways that you can, that you can contribute. And so we don't get too hung up on like forcing people to be members and, and go super heavy with join us that way, you know, cause, mm-hmm. cause there's several different opportunities that you can contribute like through your labor or through again, like, you know, signing up for one of our events. Yeah, that's cool. So tell us about your connected communities plan. sounds like that's a big initiative you guys are kind of in the middle of, or maybe toward the starting end. Uh, tell us how that's supposed to work. Yeah. So this idea, you know, it really came out of, you know, we're really good at completing individual projects as we've kind of moved into different forests throughout the La Sierra region. Communities, we're watching them, you know, go through a similar, similar to what Downeyville did, you know, the loss of jobs because those jobs were were either timber or mining. Um, So just a lot of struggling communities throughout our region and people like, hey, what? why not us? Like, can you help us? (laughs) You know? And so we kind of just like printed out this really big map of our region and and some like got some post-it notes and started just writing notes like, wow, what about this town? I'll check this place out, you know? And, and, um, and had, had like half of a plan. And then I went to this, um, uh, this summit called mountain ventures in mammoth as a speaker. And, uh, and I pitched this idea and the group was uh, was a member of Sierra Nevada Conservancies, which is who we just got this um, grant through, mm. um, who stood up and was like, I want in on that. I want to help fund it. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and it was like, oh, man. All right. Well, I guess it's time to like get a real plan together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, we worked with the Sierra Nevada Conservancy for about eight months um, on what this Connected Communities Project would mean. And and um, and then their board uh, approved uh, funding this project, which looks to ultimately connect uh, 15 communities. Uh, the majority of them are all severely disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. So when you're severely disadvantaged, like your median household income is less than 60 percent. So okay. the whole idea here is to is, is to use trails as a tool for economic development. Like how do we, how do we bring some pride back into these regions and some prosperity and some new identity through world-class trails? So uh, that's, that's kind of where we're at. We're waiting for that agreement to be finalized. And then uh, we really start 
by having town hall meetings in each of these towns. And and the whole idea here is that this, this plan comes from the community, from the bottom up. It's not a plan that the Forest Service uh, comes to the community with. So I think it's going to be a lot more powerful because it is the people's plan. Yeah. You know, and, and the timing is perfect right now. We have uh, the our three forests um, are updating their forest land and resource management plans, which basically provide direction to the forest. Mm-hmm. These plans in each of those forests is nearly 30 years old and has no, uh, there's no talk of trails or recreation. It's all mining, timber, and grazing. Wow. So, um, so the time is right on that. And then the National Forest, the National Strategy for Sustainable Trail Systems. Uh, it identifies this need to, to inventory, plan, and maintain uh, trails through partnerships. Mm-hmm. And then there's also this 10-year sustainable trail stewardship challenge, which uh, specifically identifies the need to complete uh, trails master plans on each forest. Mm. So, you know, the timing's right and the momentum's here. And um, for us, like being uh, severely disadvantaged uh, counties that are, mm-hmm. you know, losing population and losing jobs, it's it's kind of like the, the time is right. Yeah, that's great. So how does this Connected Communities Plan make the Sierras a place where people want to live and thrive again? I mean, I imagine the trails are a big help and that's kind of the first step. But like, are there other pieces to that that, that is part of that plan? or Or do you just kind of like, We'll do the trails and like the rest will take care of itself. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to solve all our problems, you know, <laughs> Yeah. but what it's going to do is it's going to, it's going to put these places on the map. It's going to open once we have this trails master plan together too. like these, these individual communities can, can use that trails master plan for community planning, mm-hmm. you know, like right now they don't have a plan to, to, to engage the forest service. So, you know, our hope really is like is to is to bring people into these into these systems, into these towns mm-hmm. where they, they come to visit. And then long term, like we'd love for people to start moving back here, you know, like let's reverse the engines and start attracting talented people um, that can, you know, that want to live and work there and also have an appreciation for public lands and want to contribute to their community in a positive way. Mm. You know, one thing that happens when you, you know, a severely disadvantaged community and your jobs are all gone and the people that live there that, that, uh, you know, had, had good jobs were smart people, you know, they move away. And then all of a sudden you're starting to attract, you know, section eight welfare people to your community because the housing's cheap and available. Mm-hmm. It has, it has big effects on your community. Yeah the identity of your community, the pride of your community. So trying to restore that here is, is part of this plan. Yeah. Do you see many people yet uh, sort of moving there just for the trails? I mean, people who say are like tech professionals and they, you know, can kind of work from anywhere. Are they choosing to go to these communities or, or are you imagining like, like people who go there and they work there in the community? Yeah, I mean, I think the best example right now is the is the town of Quincy, which is where where I'm at right now. It's where our world headquarters office is, and it's a place that we started a trail trail project here in 2008, um, and it looked to really um, have trails that were uh, within you know walking distance of the community, as well as um, you know motorized multiple use trails that were a little bit further up the hill. 
but all of them close enough that the main street of the town is basically the trailhead. So what started in 2008 with like, you know, community, community meetings and forest service support, and then going through, you know, a full environmental analysis. Um, we started building trails in uh, 2012. Mm-hmm. Quincy currently has around 70 miles of single track. Uh, we just, we just completed another phase of planning to add an additional 36 miles to that trail system. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at, you know, by 2025, Quincy will have over a hundred miles of single track wow. all within five minutes of the downtown. Um, and what we've seen is again, like our forest service, we have, we have a lot of young people that have recently come in, um, whether they're a recreation specialist or they're, you know, a wildlife biologist or a hydrologist, we're able to attract a new level of talent, not just people that are like coming here to like, oh, I'm on the last few years of my, of my detail. I'm just going to like, you know, retire here. Yeah. People are coming in that are like, wow, I want to be part of a recreation community, you know, and they're really engaged. It's been really super positive. So seeing those effects on, on Quincy is like what really instills a lot of hope in myself. And then, you know, for our younger staff, like a lot of the staff that work here, you know, are in their thirties. We, we try and create these jobs. We call them house buying jobs where they can afford to actually, you know, buy a house, raise a family, contribute to their community, eat out at the restaurants. Um, those are, those are important jobs that we want to set the standard for, um, and be able to attract those kind of people. So I think, you know, Quincy is like the best example. Downeyville is still um, kind of a struggling little town because it's so isolated. Um, here we have, you know, a junior college. We have the county seat, Forest Service Supervisor's Office. So uh, there's just a little more, <clears throat> a little more opportunity here. Yeah, interesting. Well, do you think that this is a model that could work for other communities? You know, outside of California and maybe even outside of like mountain communities. I mean, I, I think that's a good question. I mean, I know, I know it can work in mountain communities, especially those communities that are surrounded by public lands mm-hmm. and they're looking for how, what's the next thing, where are the jobs going to come from? Where are the people going to come from? If you go to, you know, a city like say, you know, San Francisco or, or like Santa Cruz, a place like that. And you're like, Oh, we're going to bring more people here, <laughs> you know? It's like, they don't necessarily want that, right? Right, yeah. So for us, it's like, by being able to attract more people, it's like a positive. And then also having all this open land where you're not, you're not just like putting more people on the same heavily used trail system. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea here is to really spread people out, give them opportunities to go out there and get lost. Those opportunities don't exist everywhere. Right. They do here. They do in a lot of places across the West. So Part of part of those connected communities, honestly, is to be a model for other communities. We're going to document the whole process mm-hmm. um, and make it available to folks that want to want to see their community do better and, and transition to recreation. Yeah, and and right down to just like how do you get a project done? You know, these are the types of agreements you're going to need with the land managers. Mm-hmm. And for those that are thinking about starting up a, a nonprofit, it's like. Don't call yourself a single use organization. <laughs> like that's yeah. the number one thing, right? Like, yeah. like represent your community of trail users. Yeah, that's great. Well, are there, are there any communities that you've looked at that are maybe, you know, a few years ahead of where the Lost Sierra is, or do you feel like you guys are kind of trailblazing? I mean, you've been at it for 
25 years now. So I'm sure back then there weren't a lot, but who is, who's sort of doing a good job uh, in other parts of the world? You know, there's, I mean, there's a lot of organizations that are doing a great job that again, it's like, it, it depends on like the makeup of your community, you know, and how you get things done. I mean, for us, like, I feel like there's models that we can look at, like for certain aspects of what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know really of a, of another group that has this particular opportunity in front of them to be able to potentially build 300 miles of trail. Yeah. And at the same time have three national forests, um, the entire Pacific Southwest region. So all of California national forest supporting us, you know, four counties, every city, all these different user groups, everybody like in on this project, you know, for our region, for sure. This is the first time that a project has had this level of support, which again is why, why it got funded. You know, I mean, I think it's, I think it's unique in that sense. Yeah, it definitely does seem that way, especially because it is so connected um, with all these different towns and, and just focusing on it as a region rather than like a specific destination um, I think, yeah, that it does make it, it's harder to think of any, anybody else that's kind of approaching it that way. Yeah. And for us, I mean, you know, like you, you go to a town and, and people will be like, well, you know, we're close to Truckee and we've watched, you know, as a, as a community living just to the North of Truckee, we've, we've watched, you know, that town really kind of explode, you know, cause it is, it has an interstate running through it. It's close to Reno, Sacramento, the Bay area. So, you know, you come into these towns and, and the old timers are like, hey, we don't need another truckie around here. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I always remind them of, you know, hey, we're still losing population. We're a long ways from that. Mm-hmm. And so by promoting this this region and, and ideally it's like each town has its own flavor, you know, has its own flavor um, of the businesses that exist there, the types of people that are there. But also it'll have its own flavor of what kind of trails are there. You know, like Downeyville is rowdy. You don't take like your your buddy who's not a, a real trail rider and bring him to Downeyville. It's like, you know, Moab's very similar that way. Like you don't break off your best friend or your girlfriend. I don't know, you know, so by having a place, you know, like Downeyville, like, okay, we're going to go get rowdy in Downeyville. Then you can like, you know, there's a place like Quincy that the trails are much smoother there's no big cliff edges you know so to be able to promote an entire region where you know so many people like from california like go to colorado or they go to utah or they go to oregon like they're driving right past our counties like why are they going to those places how do we create that opportunity here so people can spend a few days less driving come into the la sierra and get the same type of experience if not better and spend their money here yeah. I mean, you make a really good, interesting point about sort of spreading out all that recreation because what people like about these places is they are remote and they're, you know, small town and you feel like you're really out there. And, and if you kind of focus on one town, I mean, say, you know, all the resources go into promoting Downeyville. I mean, that's going to change the character of the town. And it, it seems like by doing this other approach, yeah, you're able to spread it out and kind of keep it keep it the good things that people like about these communities uh, without, you know, bringing in some of the bad stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the goal. Keep it the way people like it, you know? And so not, not overly impacted, but 
impacted in a positive way economically mm-hmm. to where it still, you know, it still exists for our kids. Yeah. Well, how will you measure the success of the Connected Communities program? Is this just about miles of trails completed or is it local sales tax revenue or is it like a combination of metrics that, that you guys are looking at? Um, I th- it's definitely a combination for sure. Like laying down the trails and, and getting these communities connected up. And, um, I think that's going to be the biggest measurable coming out and just saying like, Hey, we're going to build 300 miles. We're going to connect 15 communities. It's pretty bold. I feel like we have the support to be able to do it. And, uh, and the towns are certainly all like, you know, Hey, we want, we want to be first, you know, part of the, part of the, the thing is like, how do we set these priorities, you know, cause all these towns are hurting. And so what we're looking at really right now is, is setting the priorities and looking at like, you know, our project, like to the Southern end is a connection out of Truckee and a connection out of Reno, Nevada. So like, you know, realistically, it's like, that should probably be like some of the, the first focus is like getting people out of those population bases, mm-hmm. you know, where they have expendable income and getting them into the Las Sierra region and moving them through, you know, in that sense. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's really awesome. Well, thanks Greg for talking with us. I know I learned a ton and it seems like this is a really awesome model that a lot of other communities can look at and find success with. So thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I look forward to, uh, to more mountain towns bringing trails to their community through this. Yes, absolutely. Well, you can learn more about the Sierra Buttes Trail Stewardship at sierratrails.org, where you can also find out information about what they're doing and how you can help out as well. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week.